You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Proverbs 23 is where we're going to be this evening. Proverbs 23. And uh, don't stand just yet. Uh, we will, I think we will stand tonight for the reading, but Proverbs 23. Uh, we've been in a, this series called Parent Principles for the last uh, few weeks, and I don't know how long we're going to take it. Um, obviously, the next couple of Wednesday nights, we won't be in it while I'm out. But uh, it's, I just felt like the Lord was leading me to do this uh, for at least a time, the time being. And I've got a few more messages I want to bring, um, and uh, it just depends on how, uh, how consistent the Wednesdays are in March, which there may, there may be some interruption, but uh, it's been a help to me in the study just to be reminded of the basics, of the principles, uh, because sometimes you get kind of wrapped up in the daily routine, and, and you, you lose sight of the big picture, as we've talked about each week. You lose sight of the puzzle box, because that one puzzle piece, you're not sure where to fit it, and uh, it's good for us to take a step back and, and find the big principles and apply those in our, in our parenting. Um, last week, we started this thought about how the heart should be at the root of our parent, our parenting, that our, the target of our parenting should be the heart. And as I was thinking about Proverbs 23, just led to this passage here, I realized how much, you know, this is a letter from Solomon to his son in general, usually, and, and most of it is written to his son for, uh, in terms of getting wisdom for life. And it it struck me as I was reading Proverbs 23 how much the heart is involved in Solomon's message to his son. And that's what I want to focus on tonight as we read this. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 12. Let's go ahead and stand. And we'll read verse 12 down through about verse 26 and, and, uh, and then stop there. But I want you to notice as we read this, if this is a father to his son, I want you to notice... How much the heart comes up in, in Solomon's parenting. Look what it says in, in verse 12, Proverbs 23, 12. It says, apply thine heart. Okay, it didn't take very long, did it? Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. We'll talk about those Uh, in a little bit as well. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice even mine. Yea, my reins, and that word reins is, it literally means kidneys, but it's uh, your inward parts. It's from the inward part of you, you are rejoicing. That's how much joy it brings when thy lips speak right things. And I can tell you as a dad, when your children say and do the right things, it brings you joy. You cannot explain. It comes from someplace you can't even really explain to somebody else. When your children do the right things, it's an incredible thought and feeling. Verse 16, it says, Yea, my reign shall rejoice when thy lips shall uh, speak right things. Verse 17, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the, of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. And he's referring, I believe, to the verse before when it says, Be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. 
Don't envy sinners, son. Be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. And if you will fear the Lord, there is an end to whatever trouble you're going through or whatever good life it seems like they're living. There is an end, and your expectation, it won't be disappointed. That's what he's saying. If you fear the Lord, it's going to end up good for you. That's, I think, the context or the thought there in verse 18. Verse 19 says, Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. You see how often he uses heart? Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth, and sell it not. Also wisdom, and instruction, and understanding. The father... I'm sorry, no, the father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. Now we're going to stop there, but I think you catch the idea that Solomon knew for his son to be the right kind of man that he wanted his son to be, his heart had to lead. And I don't mean your heart leads in a way that is wrong. I mean, he had to have his, heart, his son's heart attached to the Lord for his son to be the kind of man that he needed to be. It is about the heart. It does start with the heart. You can be seated. Thank you for standing I'm going to give you a few scenarios tonight, and, uh, and if you're a parent, then you understand these, you can relate to these, and uh, I tried to make them a little humorous just because they can get, um, they can make us, all, all of us parents break out in, in cold sweats if, we're, if we've been here. Scenario number one, your children are fighting again, okay, can I get a witness? Okay, you've already been in the room three times this morning, three You've already used the tactics that you know, which are fear. If I have to come into this room one more time, shame. I'm just glad your friends aren't here to see how bad you really are. And reward. If you stop fighting, I will pay you a million dollars in small unmarked bills. None of it's working. And you're at the end. Scenario two, you're sitting in church and your child is once again acting up. You've pinched and threatened and given your meanest face and breathed fire to no avail. They look at you with that same angelic look, but you're reminded that Satan himself was transformed into an angel of light. And you know they know what to do, but they also know you can't do anything about it in that moment. Scenario three, your teenager stares at you blankly and you unquestionably believe that their brains have leaked out overnight while they were asleep. So you've told them multiple times to clean their room and you know they've heard you, but hours later they still have not complied and you can't take anything else away from them. They're already on lockdown. What are you supposed to do now? Do those sound familiar to parents? I think we've been there and if you haven't had teenagers yet, maybe the whole disappearing brain thing doesn't doesn't um, resonate yet but i promise you it will very soon i think every parent can relate to those scenarios because and it can feel like a grind it can that's why we need principles that come to our mind in the middle of moments like that because principles answer a thousand questions 
principles guide us in those unique and often random parenting situations. And they're always random and they're all unique. No two are alike. We, and so we must learn, as the saying goes, we must learn to fish, not just be given a fish. In that we must learn the principles for ourselves because there's not a rule that applies to every single situation. Every situation is unique. Every situation is random. And, and our children are unique. Our children, uh, from even one to the next, are as different as night and day. You need principles with which to guide your parenting. And if we want to raise image bearers, we must target more than the bodies of our children. Now, I'm not downplaying the importance of targeting um, their, their behavior and making sure they do what's right on the outside, but many parents raise their children as if that's the only part that matters. They raise their children as if the body is the only part that really matters in the end. But our children, folks, our children are more than bodies. We know that. God breathed that breath of life into Adam, that first man. He became a living soul. We are more than a body. The hidden man of the heart in First Peter is who we really are. That's what determines how we live our lives. And that's why Proverbs 4.23, which is where we were last week, and it says, keep thy heart with all, all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That's why that verse is so important. Um, that word diligence actually means a prison. It means, or a room, someplace that you put someone that they cannot get out of. And the idea is that that's where we put our hearts. Solomon was telling his son, keep your heart with all diligence. Uh, put your heart in a room, in a prison cell, that no one can get in and, and mess with. That's how important your heart is, son. That's what he was saying. Um, Matthew 12 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the treasure of his heart uh, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil of, of the heart treasureth... Uh, I'm sorry, out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil gifts. So the condition of our heart will determine what comes out of our lives. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So, folks, our target in parenting should be the hearts of our children, not just their bodies. We don't want to create bodies uh, uh, that just do what they're supposed to do on the outside, but their heart is not engaged in the matter. We just read out of Proverbs 23 the importance of capturing their heart and involving their heart in their obedience so that they will become the people they're supposed to be. We'll look at Proverbs 23 um, in more detail here in a little bit as well. But our parenting, that, that's what we say and that's what we know, but our parenting often betrays us in that many parenting tactics deal with bodies rather than hearts. And, and we don't take it beyond what they're doing on the outside and apply what we're teaching to the hearts. We make rules and we trust the law to change their hearts. But folks, that is asking the law to do something the law was never meant to do. Don't misunderstand. Now, the, there's, we are to set the rules and there is great value in the law. It's our responsibility as parents to, to set the rules and set right and wrong based on God's principles we are to set those rules, and there is value in the law, but it's there to help us see our sin and know that we need something else. The law is never the end in itself. The law is limited, and it brings us to the knowledge of sin, but the law does not save us. It points us to the agent of change, which is Jesus Christ. And if the law could save, 
he didn't have to come. The law is there as our schoolmaster to let us know that we must look to Jesus Christ for our salvation. So don't trust the rules to change our children by, by focusing on the outside instead of the heart. And, and there's a danger in there in that Matthew 15, 8, Jesus Christ says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their, with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And when we, when we parent looking for a change of behavior without a change of heart, it is a pharisaical act. Meaning that we are getting our children to do what they're doing on the outside, but their heart is not engaged. We're asking for behavior change, but not heart change. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ told the Pharisees they were guilty of. This people draweth nigh to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And we do that by using tools that aren't able to do the job. We're relying in our children's lives, we're relying on tools that that aren't power tools. Have you ever uh, tried to, uh, you've had a bolt or you had some, usually I'm under the hood of a vehicle when this happens, but you've got a bolt or you've got some, uh, something that you need to loosen. Um, but if you're like me, you don't have the right tools for those kind of jobs. And, and if you don't, if all you have is a wrench and you're trying as hard as you can by hand to loosen a bolt and you can't do it, what do you need to go do? You need to find somebody that has a compressor and an impact wrench, you know, so those manly kind of tools, and you need to plug that in, and it'll do the job for you. If you keep trying it by hand, you will not make any progress. And there may be tricks for torque, and you might be able to figure out how to make it work, but what you need is something with power. And that is an illustration of the way that many parents deal with their children, is that they are trying to, to make change or effect change or do something in their child's life with a tool that is entirely inadequate and was never actually intended to transform a child's heart. And we need to put our tools down and pick up a power tool, the ones that God provides, and use that on our children. But very often we're using things like fear, and we're making threats, and, but God doesn't desire a relationship with us based on fear. So why would we parent by, by creating fear or causing fear in our children? We often also use reward. And we say, if you do this, I'll give you this. But it robs them of the joy of obedience out of love. We've, we haven't taught them that the greatest joy that you can have is when you love God enough to obey him. And it's not about what you're getting out of it. It's because you love him and you know what he's done for you. We also use a tool. These are wrenches. They're not power tools, but we'll use the tool of shame. And we, make, we, we create shame in our children. And, and we say things like, well, be glad that so-and-so doesn't know what you're really like. Or you've really embarrassed me at the store today. It creates a horizontal standard for why we do what we do. And we're telling our children that their reason for obedience is about us. Or their reason for obedience is about somebody around them. But we need to make it a vertical reason and point them to God. It's not about shame. Uh, when, we get, uh, when, when we are in trouble with God, when we do something we should not do, and we're, we're bearing the consequences, it's not about shame for him, it's about guilt. We're either guilty or we're not, but it's never about you. It really embarrassed me today. See, we're trying to loosen the bolt 
with tools that don't have the power to do it. And tonight's principle, and I introduced it last week, but tonight's principle is this. We are authorities, not agents of change. We are authorities, not agents of change. See, as authorities, we are tasked with establishing right and wrong and then ensuring that our children follow it, but law doesn't change a heart. So we can establish rules and we can establish guidelines, but we have to depend on God's work on the inside, not our work on the outside. God, Jesus Christ, he is the agent of change. We don't have access to their hearts. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't have access to change their hearts, I should say. In, that, like, in the way that God does, we have no power to change our children's hearts. We can set up the boundaries, we can set up the rules, but only God can change, truly change a heart. My wife pointed out to me last week uh, in, in Psalm 51 when David was praying to God, he said, create in me a clean or new heart, O God, create. And that word create is the same word that you see over in Genesis chapter 1. That word create is only ever attributed to the work of God because only God can make and fashion something new out of nothing. And we say, well, you know, there's inventor. We have inventors, but we don't use the, the term creator uh, for human beings because a human being, in order to make something, they have to have material to start with. But God doesn't. And God can fashion. Only God creates. And so that means in Psalm 51 that only God can fashion a new heart in the life of someone. Only God has that kind of power. Only God has that kind of access. He, only he can change a heart. So listen, our parenting must be balanced then. We must balance our parenting between our rules and our regulations and our boxes. And we have to balance between that and God's ability to transform a heart. That's the balance that we're striking. And I believe yet we often, though, leave out the transformative part. See, we, we place the boxes, we place the, the rules and the regulations, the law is right here, and that's the first step. And beyond that, though, the transformative part of God intervening and, and creating something new out of nothing, fashioning something new in that heart of that child, we leave that part out because all we're really looking for is compliance in our box. All we're really asking for is that they just... Uh, meet our standards. And if they meet our standards, then we let them go their way. And, and, and see, the principle that actually makes the change comes when God's word plays a role in the discipline and plays a role in the training process. So if we bypass the heart transformation, we are elevating the outward above the inward. And we are basically, in a subtle way or underlying way, telling our children that as long as you comply on the outside, the heart doesn't really matter all that much. And we're creating in them this mindset that says, Pharisees are okay. If all you are is outward, it's okay. Mom and dad are happy. As long as you comply on the outside, it's okay. I, there's a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart by a man named Ted Tripp, and maybe you've read it. It's a, it is really a great book on parenting. A lot of the material from this, this part on um, in the message was, is based on some of the things that he wrote. In Ted Tripp, he says that parenting is like hanging apples on a tree. 
See, imagine that you have an apple tree that, that only produces bad apples. So you, you think that you're going to fix the tree. So you go down to the store and you buy bags of apples, nice, red, delicious apples, and you go back to the tree and you take all the bad fruit off of the tree and then you take fishing line and you tie apples to that tree branches. And then as you step back, you look at the tree and you say, man, that tree, that's a beautiful looking tree, isn't it? People coming by saying, that is a nice looking tree. Look at all the good fruit on that tree and you're pretty proud of yourself. Um, but, you're, but all you did was hang apples. Meaning that does the tree have fruit on its branches? Well, yes, it does, but did the tree produce that fruit? No. You see, when we focus on the behavior of our children and we skip the heart in the process, it's like hanging an apple on a tree. The tree did not produce the fruit. And I'm going to stop and just apply this because I know going through this, some of you... You're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have children. But this applies to you in that if you put yourself in the position of that child, this applies to every single Christian. And I hope that Eastside Baptist Church is full of people that aren't hanging fruit on their trees. That we don't go around hanging apples so that we present this idea that we are who we say we are. But on the inside, we're really not producing any fruit on our own. We need to make sure that that illustration does not describe us too. Because of course we want that for our children. But I'm just asking adults in here, and maybe those that don't have children uh, at home, uh, does it apply to your life? I hope that you are not one of those Christians that hangs apples on the tree and is just presenting a look, an image, so that other people will be impressed. But re in reality, the tree's not really producing that. But when we focus on the heart, it's like nurturing the tree. Nurturing the tree and, and watering the tree and making sure it has the nutrients and, and pruning the branches. It's, that's what working with the heart or focusing on the heart is. It does. It, it nurtures the tree until the tree begins to produce good fruit on its own. See, here's the problem, though, is that takes a lot longer than going to buy apples and hanging them on the branches. It takes, you could do that in an afternoon, but if you're going to create or nurture a tree to produce fruit on, fruit on its own that does not, that's going to take some time, and it takes some nurturing, and it takes some hard work, and it takes real effort on our part, and honestly, frankly, I think we get to the point where we say, you know what, it's just easier and faster, and I'm just going to go hang some apples on the tree. See, parents get good at, at using tactics to affect outward change but when we trust the law folks when we trust the law to modify our children's behavior rather than connecting their behavior to God's truth in the process we are hanging apples what kind of other non-power tools do we use to hang apples well we sometimes can use bribery you know well if you'll be a good in church today mommy will buy you a candy bar please be good but it's hanging an apple. And I'm not saying, especially when they're younger, I'm not saying that those kind of things don't help. When my wife was, my wife came up with this genius plan, um, and you know how moms do this, they trick you into thinking they're, you know, you're doing really good, and then you, it comes back to bite you. She taught them from a very young age, when they started sitting in church, 
um, when it, 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 all of our children were raised in Stillwater. The church there, I think they sit in church at the age of three. So uh, they're through two on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, age three, they were in church every service, Sunday and Wednesday nights. So there's a lot of pressure. It's like, I'm not sure they can handle this. So we would work with them and, and we, would, we would practice and we would make them sit and listen to preaching and, and on the couch in the living room just to make sure they were ready. Well, my wife, you know, she got this genius idea and she taught them how to, how to uh, read their name. You know, from when they're three years old, they, could, they know what their name looks like. You could teach them how to see their name and, and know what it is and and some of them even could write it out, you know, with backwards letters and, you know, the cute way that kids do. But she would teach them how to read their name, and they would read their name, and, and, and she, they'd be proud of themselves. But what she, they didn't realize is she was setting them up. Because her, the, the way that she would help them behave in church was that she would tell them at their first time they were sitting there, now listen, um, if you see me write your name down on a piece of paper, then you better stop whatever you're doing. And if I put a mark under your name, you know you're in big trouble. And so the kids would be fidgeting. They're young and they're learning and it's okay. You know, uh, once, they, once they come in and, and you're training them, I understand that process. They'd be fidgeting or doing something they shouldn't and she'd write their name down and they would remember, oh wait. That means I'm in trouble. Like that's step number one. I'm on the, on the, on the verge of, of the pain train. So... If they did something else, then she would write a, a mark. And that meant when we get home, um, you're, tr- you're, you're really in trouble at least once. And the more marks they got, then the more they knew they were in trouble. But honestly, you know, after a couple times, I don't remember very many of them getting anything besides their name written down. They learned very quickly. But you know, my children are 16 and 17, and it, my wife doesn't do that with them anymore. <laughs> If she was still doing it with our 17-year-old, uh, we have real developmental problems with her. Because she's old enough now that it's a heart matter. That she sits in church and she listens um, because she doesn't want her car taken away. No, no, she sits in church and listens because we ha- hope that in the 17 years that we've raised her, that we've taught her, no, you do what you do because you love God. And your heart is the reason that you do what you do. And we shouldn't have to watch over her and write her name and put marks down on a piece of paper because she has grown to the point in her, in her walk with the Lord that she does that because it's the right thing and because she loves the Lord. And when they're young, you can use those, this box over here where you're setting up ground rules and you're making sure that they are staying within them. But if you do stay there too long and you will train your child to think, that the outside is all that matters. At some point, and you can do this when they're young, you start making the transition from outward behavior to heart behavior. From outward change to heart change. Bribery works when they're young, but I mean, when they get older, uh, it doesn't, it's not nearly as appealing. Sometimes we go to the, the, power, the tool that has no power, uh, the random penalty in that you know, we say the next time you use the, that phrase, you're going to put a dollar in this jar or you're going you're gonna to sit in your room for an hour. You know, we just, you know how it is. You just kind of come up with some kind of punishment in the moment and, and, and we scare them. But it's just hanging an apple. We'll, we Sometimes as parents will use guilt or manipulation 
and we'll say, well, it makes me so sad when you disobey. And honestly, it does make us sad when, when they disobey, and, and we don't want them to disobey. It hurts our heart. We see, saw in Solomon's life how, how the, he had such joy and delight when his son uh, would, did what was right. But we should, they should get past the place where the guilt and manipulation on behalf of their parents is the reason they're obeying. If we're still using, you've ruined mommy's day. You know, then we're hanging apples. Or, or we force them to obey. You've ever done this with your children where you say, you say you're sorry. And you know they're not sorry, but you're going to make them say they're sorry. You know, sometimes it, you, they need the humility of having to do what they don't want to do. I understand there's value in that. But if all we ever get from our children is forced obedience, then we are creating Pharisees that do what they do because uh, it's expected of them on the outside, but the heart is nowhere to be found. We we use these these tools without power. We can't turn the wrench. We can't turn the nut. We can't get the bolt out. And we use things like threats. And we say, if you do that again, you'll be grounded for two months. I'm serious this time. And what we're doing is hanging apples. It's easy to, to, you know, to get to the place where we feel, you know, well, we have to understand that there's a better pattern. We have to know that there is a power tool at our disposal, and we need to put the wrench down that's not making a difference, and we need to plug in the compressor and grab the air hose and plug in that impact wrench and use something to do the job. My, I'm not a mechanical guy necessarily, and I, I'm not a good builder. We, we built a house, but I had people holding my hand the whole way through it. Anytime I, I have to fix my car or work on my vehicle, um, my first stop is YouTube. Maybe you're one of those YouTube mechanics like I am. You know, and I can know how to do it. And I could watch how to do it, and I could see how to do it, and I, can, and, and I can understand the concepts, and I can follow the steps. But you know the biggest problem I run into? It's not even the knowledge or know-how, because you can usually find out how. It's the fact that I don't have the right tools. Honestly, that's my biggest frustration when I have a project. Is that I'm trying to hammer, in, hammer a nail with the backside of my drill. Or anything I can find. My tape measure. But I was, I, I was wa- working with somebody one time and, and there was a guy, we were building something for a church project and there was a guy there and he had his drill. And there was a nail that had come out and he was hammering the nail with his drill. And this guy that I was working with, he built ho- builds houses for a living. And he looked at the this friend of ours, this other church member, and he said, you know, that's a pretty expensive hammer you got there. Because he was using the wrong tool for the wrong job. And folks, I think sometimes as parents, that's what we're doing. We, we know what we want, and we know what we want it to look like, and we know in the end we want fruit on the tree. We want apples. But we, we come to the place where we realize we can't make that happen. So we use tactics, bribery, fear, shame, forced obedience, guilt, manipulation, reward. We use these tactics to get fruit on the tree without transformation. 
And there's a process to go through, and I, I think we're not going get, to get to it tonight. But I just want to ask you to ask the Lord to help you use the right tools. Because if you, if you never use the right tool of God's word and God's truth and God's principles, your children will always be outward. But you won't have their hearts. They'll hang fruit on the tree, but they're not the ones producing it. And maybe it's time that we stop being content with fruit and we start striving for transformation. Because only a transformed heart will produce fruit that's real in the end. And maybe our tactic should be less about bribes and guilt and shame and and manipulation and, and threats and just random penalties. And maybe it should be, God... What do I do? How do I help them in this area? I don't want to stop at just their outside. I don't want to create Pharisees. I need your power tools. And I believe, so our next message, we're going to go through the process of, of how you get to the power tools and stop leaning on the hand wrenches that can't do the job that you're wanting them to. Sure, they can create Uh, outward behavior modification but they cannot transform a heart we are authorities yes but we are not agents of change so we need a perfect combination of what we ask them to do the rules we set up and the transformation of their hearts that only god through his word can do we'll pick that pick this up next time i don't want to rush through it i'm going to stop right there let's pray and then we'll go to our prayer time We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.